So tell me, how are you feeling about the new Lord of the Rings show? I feel optimistic. I don't know any like I don't know I haven't we haven't seen anything of it yet, right? So like who knows? It could be it could be a bad thing, but I don't know. I, I I've heard that the Wheel of Time show they made isn't exceptional. So it's not a great sign. But I don't know. I'm always on board. Like I like look, I lined up for every Star Wars movie. <laughs> I'll line up for this too. Like I'll I'll be there. I'll watch it for sure. Do you have any concern that it's gonna be like a bunch of fan service? over and over again, like some of the more recent Star Wars and Marvel things have been, where they're just like, hey, remember this character? Remember this character? Remember uh, this thing? It's maybe. the Death Star. The one nice thing is that they really can only do that with elves characters, so like, and there aren't that many super central elf characters, right? So like, they can't do that too much. You know, like, none of the humans were alive back then. And the elves that were is like, for, for four characters that are actually significant in the in the movies that we're familiar with, right? So I think I'm not too worried about it. I'm yeah. hoping there's nice. I'm hoping there are nice cinematog. <clears throat> Hold on, let me take this from the top. Cinematographic. <sighs> Why did you take it from me? So I didn't know what word you were going for. I just. I, I hope just... there are really pretty landscape shots. Yeah. Like I want to see some nice footage of New Zealand. Yeah. I will say, um, the Hobbit movies are not my favorite, but there was that one scene, I think in the first one. Oh, where he jumps from, he's jumping through the air on falling no. rocks? No. Oh, no, that's the third one. <laughs> I did not like that scene. No. Uh, that's I was physics. Say, I was going to say, the scene in the first one where they're in the uh, Mirkwood, and he goes to the top of the really tall tree, and he like sees above it, and there's all these like cool, I think they're butterflies or something. I haven't seen it since it came out, but there's like really cool... Scene where he's just like, though it's like wondrous and there's like all these magical looking butterflies and stuff. Like, it, it was pretty cool. And then they fight a bunch of spiders, so it's a little spooky, but. I never like it when movies decide they need to put spiders in. Well, I think it was in the book, so I don't think it was. <laughs> I never like it when books decide they need to put spiders in. That's true. Chamber of Secrets? Ugh. Ugh. That one's maybe the worst. Return of the King? Ugh. Bad. Spiders. So bad. Though, you know, fun fact. Um. Uh, Shelob is actually in the Two Towers book, uh, even though she does not appear in the Two Towers movie. She appears in Return of the King. What does she do? Uh, you know, well, those movies are famously quite accurate. So basically what she did in the movies, almost killed Frodo. But she wasn't in the second movie. She's in the third movie. But what does she do in the second movie? She's not in the th- second movie. You get what like does she do in br- the second book? <laughs> the, the part with <laughs> Shelob in it in the second book is in the third movie and not the second movie. Oh, just famously accurate, huh? All right, all right, all right, all right. Enough <laughs> out of you. Enough out of you. They also see Boromir's dead body in the beginning of Two Towers and not the end of Fellowship. So what are you going to do? So I'm excited for the show. I am. I think it'll be really cool. Um, I mean, I, I'm always game for more Lord of the Rings stuff. Hopefully they'll have some cool physics in it, too. Yeah, and then you can talk about that and not just buoyancy. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of physics, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Reference Frames podcast. The only podcast out there where we seek to teach you physics through the medium of pop culture and all your favorite movie scenes. My name is Ian. This is my good buddy and Lord of the Rings nerd, Will. That's me. Lord of the Rings we do nerd. this podcast, we, Will will take us to a little, a little theater of the mind using a, a popular scene or book or even we've even done sports before that highlight a cool physics principle that you can use in your everyday life or maybe you can't use in everyday life if it's something like the history of lasers throwback (laughs) 
And that way you'll be able to use it and apply it in your own life. It'll be super fun and you're going to love it. We're going to have a great time and we're going to kick it off right now, right here. Yeah. What we usually do is start with any corrections. <laughs> Anytime we've gotten something wrong, people tweet at us. They tell us what we've done wrong. However, we only have 19 followers on Twitter, so that's not a huge sample size. And <laughs> this week, we also have no corrections. Nice. Nice. Last yep. week was uh, pressure, right? With the alien scene? That is correct. I went back and watched that scene. Mm. Yeah, boy, they really just nailed the tension, didn't oh, they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you see why I, I kind of wanted to watch it after that? It's like, you know? Yep. yep. I kind of get it. You know what? I want to go back, and um, you got anything you wanted to mention from... Uh, there's a slight, a slight correction I might put with the question of what happens if it were filled with water. Uh, I, I, upon further reflection, I think the way I described it probably wouldn't be how it would go. Like a milk jug, if you recall, it would be like, bloop, 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 bloop. Yep. I don't think it would glug out. I think it would just explode out. Um, <clears throat> I think the water would just become like basically vaporize and just go flying out there. Like, just like everything else would. I don't think you'd have this bubble of vacuum coming in. It'd be kind of cool though. It'd be really cool. Um, we should go test it. Just fill the ISS with uh, water and then, you know, vent it. Alabama's got, got an ISS that's already underwater. What? 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 That's, how they, that's how they train astronauts. Oh, really? In Alabama? Yeah. It's in huh. Huntsville. That's where they have a lot of the space stuff. Oh. Interesting. Boom. Fun fact. I know that because I got a friend and coworker who is from Huntsville. There we go. Correction zone so, in the rearview mirror. Adios, correction zone. Now, Will, would you like to take us to a theater of mind? Everyone sit in your comfiest chair and prepare for... Get the popcorn. Get the popcorn and prepare for the scene. <clears throat> All right. The opening credits play over a black screen. The only sound, that of a rhythmic ticking noise. The ticking noise builds and multiplies as we fade in to a panning close-up of a collection of clocks of various sorts and sizes, all displaying 7.53 in the morning. As the camera pans around the room, it is soon clear that the resident of this house enjoys an eclectic assortment of inventions intended to automate much of their morning routine. Unfortunately, the occupant appears to have been absent for some time, as evidenced by the large mound of uneaten canned dog food slopping out of the bowl on the ground and the severely burnt toast in the automated toaster. Another can is soon opened by a mechanical arm and dumped atop the wet mound of dog food. Our eyes are taken away from this unappetizing sight by the front door opening and a youth entering the empty abode, calling out for the missing resident. Hey, Doc. The young man remarks briefly on the sad state of affairs in the kitchen, Doc but quickly begins powering on some sort of large machine. Multiple switches are thrown and dials cranked to their maximum setting. Many gauges are shown rising to their maximum values as he turns more dials, including one labeled simply overdrive, all the way to 100. An electrical hum begins to build throughout this process until he inserts one end of a quarter-inch audio jack into a socket and the other into the socket of a small yellow electric guitar. Zooming out, we see that he has been powering on a colossal speaker, which at this point is giving off a loud, ambient buzzing noise. The youth brushes his hair out of his face and strikes a pose directly in front of the speaker, raising a guitar pick high into the air. As the pick glints in the light, he slams it down and strums across the strings, striking a powerful chord. 
so powerful, in fact, that he is blasted back 20 feet by the sheer power of rock as the speakers explode in a shower of sparks. He slowly rises from the debris of the bookshelf he was flung into, raises his stylish shades in awe, and utters only, Whoa. All right, Ian, there's the scene. The opening scene. Doc! Love that movie. Back to the future. What are we talking about today? What do you think? Let's see. There are a few options here. There are. I don't know which way you're going to go with it. We could yeah. be talking about just flat out sound. Could we talk about waves? It's an option. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought maybe you were going to go with um, amplifiers. We were going to get really mm. deep into electronics. <laughs> talk about ideal op, op amps, amps and all that. Yeah. LM341s or whatever. Oh, yeah. 357s. I don't know. We'll get corrected on that. timers. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to probably stick with sound. I think you're going to go way simpler. It's just going to be sound, and it's going to be an overview of sound. That is a excellent guess. You're 100% correct. We're talking about sound waves today and how they work. Ooh, nice job, Ian. Oh, yeah. Unstoppable. Great job. Thank you. All right. So what the heck is this thing we know of as sound? A little more complicated than you might think. So worth pointing out, this is very connected to what we talked about last time with pressure. So uh, you might want to listen to that before you listen to this one. They're very interrelated. Or you might want to listen to that one after this one, because again, they're very related. So first, I think it might be most helpful to talk about it um, with respect to how sound is made. And we're going to mainly talk about it in the context of sound in the air, but the principle is true for in water or in any liquid or in even solids like the earth. So first off, for sound and air, a reminder from last week that air is made up of a bunch of atoms and molecules all bouncing around, right? Full of all these gaseous molecules. So in that context, sound generally uh, is caused by vibrations of things in general. So if something is vibrating, that means it's moving back and forth, right? Um, so each time an object moves one way, right? It is smacking all the air molecules that are in its way, right? If something moves to the left, there's a bunch of air that's it's going to be moving into, slamming those things off in the direction it's moving. Those molecules that it bopped out of the way are then pushed, shoved into a bunch of other molecules that were just sitting there, just enjoying their time, bouncing around. Just hanging out, just having a good time. Yeah. And so now, now they're getting crowded by all these new molecules getting shoved into them. And so that means that for that brief moment in time, that little area now has more air than it did before. You see what I'm, you just following along in? Yeah, we push a little bit of air from one spot to another. Yeah. It bumps into air, which then pushes more air. Yeah. Along yeah. The way. It, gets, it gets crowded, and then they begin crowding the, the molecules next to them. They begin crowding the molecules next to them. And it basically is like a domino effect where um, the air itself doesn't move across the room. But this effect of getting shoved into the air next to it, which then shoves into the air next to it, which then shoves into the air next, next to it, that effect, like a domino uh, set, propagates. And so what we see uh, is a sort of chain reaction going on, where that first thing, the thing that's vibrating, moves, and you get this region where the molecules are being more clustered together, kind of traveling, propagating, um, uh, you know, in the direction the thing was vibrating. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. And that continues going. Uh, and so when this thing's vibrating, right, that means it's not just moving once. It goes back and then it moves it again. And then it moves back and it moves it again. And it moves back and it moves it again. It's a consistent vibration, right? Yep. 
So what that means is we get a series of these higher density, more molecules crammed into a space regions, and that are all propagating one after the other in the direction that things vibrating. Follow along so far, Ian? So far, so good for me. Cool. All right. So that series of propagating high density, low density, high density, low density, high density, low density waves, um, that is what we refer to as sound waves. So there's a few things that can be different between two different vibrating sources, right? So these vibrating things, they create the sound. You can vibrate in different ways, and that'll create different types of sound. So if a source, the vibrating whatever it is, if it's vibrating back and forth more frequently, as in it's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth versus back and forth and back and forth, right? That more, the higher frequency of its vibrating, that will create these high density regions um, closer together, right? Closer to each other because one will be generated, the next one will be generated quicker than it would be otherwise, right? So you're just getting a, a more frequent um, uh, uh high density packets you can kind of think of it if you think about the air molecules as being like um passengers in the cars a higher frequency source is sending more it's like a procession of cars where the cars are closer together versus lower frequencies that you know same number of cars maybe they're spread out further along the road if that makes sense and this frequency the the rate at which these pulses are being created by this vibrating object that is that's what affects the pitch of the sound that we hear so that's high and low um, high pitch, low pitch. A high pitched one is where it's vibrating quicker. A low pitched one is where it's vibrating slower. Does that make sense to you? You're, you're telling me that uh, is fewer is fewer cars that uh, exactly exactly spaced out further for the low pitch. Yeah. Uh, in case anyone missed it. <laughs> Thank you. Of yeah. Course. So that's why that's why we have Ian here uh, here today. Um, that's what I do. So that's that's you know the rate of the vibration and how quickly the thing's vibrating. But if the, if the thing that's vibrating at a consistent rate, but it, maybe it's moving back and forth a greater distance, right? So it's vibrating, you know, at some given rate, but it's moving further with each vibration. Uh, then the distance between the regions will be the same because that's determined by how fast it's, you know, how often it's, it's vibrating. Um, but the amount of air that's being shoved into each of these locations is now bigger because it's scooping up more air in each of these passes as, a, as it's vibrating. And so what that means, um, you can kind of think like that. Uh, you'll get, you know, higher density in these regions. And you can kind of think of, like, of that in sort of passenger analogy as being um, like a passenger train. So if maybe like a Tokyo passenger train at rush hour is when it's vibrating further because you get more, more people crammed into this one space um, versus mm-hmm. that same train at like 3 a.m. or something. That, there's not as much air crammed into each space. Does that make sense? So far, yeah. Cool. And so that, that how much air is being packed into these, the, the density being higher for a bigger um, movement of the vibrating object, that's what affects the volume. So like how loud or how soft a sound is. Cool. So let's talk about speakers then. So in the seam, you had a big speaker. Yeah. So what sure is did. a speaker? A speaker on a very simplified level is just a big panel that just vibrates, Right. So it's a big, you know, flat or conical or however you want to shape it, a dome shape sometimes. It's just a thing that's made to vibrate back and forth. And so when they do that, right, they're shoving this air and into these neighbors, making these high density things that then move on and they vibrate back and forth. Yeah. And so the faster it vibrates, so the more often, maybe 50 times, 50 vibrations per second versus 10 vibrations per second, that'll make it have a higher pitch. And if it vibrates further back and forth in each vibration, 
that'll make it louder. Sound good? If you look at like old, I guess not old, but if you look at cartoons, Mm. whenever, anytime they draw loud speakers Mm. and the little, there's the little black disc in the center of the speaker that always like kind of like flies out. Yeah. That's it, right? Like that's a vibrating little uh, kind of membrane there. Exactly. Yeah. So in this scene then, let's look at this opening scene of Back to the Future. Yeah. Right. Marty McFly has a massive speaker, meaning it's got this huge disc, huge conical shaped disc thing. He's cranked all these dials. He's flipped all these switches. Presumably that's going to make it so the speaker will move more, right? Have a larger distance it'll travel with each vibration, therefore making it louder, because that seems to be the intent that he's going for, making it louder. Classic. Um, Yeah. Marty McFly. That scene, by the way, there's so much... um, like a uh, plot that's revealed in that, in that scene through no dialogue, just the panning of the camera and like the, the, the TV news on the show. And then Marty McFly's and character. And I think they're like newspapers, aren't there? Yeah. There's newspapers and there's even a broadcast. You see like, it's excellent opening for a movie sets up a lot. Um, but anyway, so he's making it vibrate a lot, you know, a large distance with each vibration by turning all these things up, turning overdrive to a hundred, whatever that means. Um, so much so that when he strums it even once, his guitar, even once, the panel completely detaches from its housing and explodes into sparks, right? So clearly, overdrive should not be turned to 100. And he's got to stop turning overdrive to 100. <laughs> he's got, really got to learn. Um, and so what happens? He gets blasted backwards, right? So the one question we can ask is, would he get blasted backwards? So yeah. This is kind of, this would be helpful for you to watch or listen to the previous episode because it's all about the whole pressure, more molecules. So when that initial wave that the speaker creates before it explodes uh, reaches Marty, right? There will be more molecules packed in to that region in front of him as it reaches him than there are behind him because it hasn't reached behind him yet. So that the larger number of molecules there means he's going to be getting hit by more and more molecules. There's a higher pressure on him on his front than there are on his, on his back, which means he yep. will get, you know, as in the movie thrown backwards. Right. However, Uh it's worth pointing out, right? The speaker isn't actually generating any air, right? It's not like a fan. It's not pumping air into the room. It isn't adding any molecules into the room. So that high density region, that doesn't, that air, that's extra air in there isn't coming from anywhere. It's coming from the region directly behind that pulse, which means that the high energy area of that sound pulse is immediately followed by a very low pressure area. Of that sound pulse, which means when the high pressure meets his front, he should be getting thrown backwards because it's more pressure on his front than on his back. But once it gets behind him, presumably he presumably he's not moving the speed of sound, not moving faster than it, so it'll go past him. He'll have a high pressure on his back and that even lower oh. pressure than the normal room pressure on his front, which oh. means he will be getting collided with far more from behind than he is from the front. Then, so then he should feel immediately after the push backwards. You should feel a very similar push forwards as well. Whoa. So presumably, I guess it, was, it would just be a big, like a jolt backwards and forwards. Like a, kind, whoa. kind of shaken backwards and forwards. Right. If it's one pulse. If it's like five pulses before it explodes, five times. Yeah. So that's, that's that scene through sound. Does that make sense, Ian? Can I see what, what we're talking about here? Yeah. I see cool. what we're talking about here. Cool. All right, then, Ian. I'm going to ask you a question, the classic question. Oh, boy. Where do we see sound? Yeah. We can don't... we see sound? Where do we see it? Supposedly. Where do we hear sound in the world today? 
Well, you mean other than basically everywhere? That was my basically first thing I wrote, was all caps everywhere. <laughs> it's, a, it's all over the place. It's one of our core senses sometimes. Um, what's an interesting one? I guess the big one is anytime you see a, a car that is just bumping. Mm. <laughs> you know, has is like has the has the big speaker setup mm. and they crank their bass to the max. Sure. You hear that low frequency. Sure. And you can even see it vibrating sometimes. You can like the see windows. It vibrating sometimes. The windows. You sometimes you can feel it. Mm. Uh that's a big one, I think, that everyone Yeah. Has yeah. seen the trope of at least. Yeah. And and the low frequency, right? The fact that it's so low. Right. The reason we see it and feel it is because usually vibrations are so fast we can't really perceive them. But in that yeah. case, it's slow enough where you can actually the eye can pick out the uh, the vibrations. In fact, wild. The typical human hearing range uh, goes anywhere from you can hear a sound like a speaker, for example, that's vibrating around twenty times a second. That's about the lowest frequency, about this fast, uh, the slowest it can go that we can still hear it. And it goes all the way up to roughly, for young people, 20,000 vibrations a second, which is obviously way too much for us to ever perceive. Yeah. So 20 times a second, we can still visually even see it. And below that, we can maybe still feel it, but we can't actually hear it. What do you have written down in your examples? I'm curious. Sure. Yeah. Well, so uh, there's a few, I mean, you know, human speech, right? Anything that makes noise, right? That's our vocal folds, right? Are, are vibrating up and down, pumping these sort of oscillating or you know alternating pressure waves right out of our throats it's really any kind of speaker or you know musical instrument or whatever um but one cool one a neat one Ooh. that i think is just Ooh. really cool is have you ever heard of acoustic levitation ian um i think so yeah yeah but it's why really don't you cool. explain to the people that haven't sure yeah and and i have a link for a really cool video that kind of explains it and shows it and it's really fascinating i think you should also click on the link it'll be in the description somewhere um, it's just really cool to watch, but the basic idea, uh, I don't want to get into too much physics of it, of the, uh, of the, the, the phenomena that helps it take place, um, which is standing waves. But the basic idea is you have one speaker facing upwards and directly above it, one speaker pointing downwards. They're kind of facing each other on a vertical, um, uh, direction and they both play sound at the same frequency. I mean that, what that generates is what we call a standing wave. And I don't want to get too into the particulars of it. But the essential idea is that you get a, instead of waves propagating like you'd expect up or up or down, you get these overlapping waves, which actually create um, standing waves, right? It creates these, these stationary areas of, in the case of sound, which are pressure waves, stationary areas of high and low pressure that kind of alternate. So what you can get, you know, uh, and you'll see in the video if you click on it, is people can put water droplets or little styrofoam balls and they can just hang there. And what's going on is you put it in between two high-pressure regions. Because if you remember, uh, what pressure does, it's just so it's, there's more molecules in that area, so they're colliding with it more often. And so you put it in between two high-pressure areas. It's being pushed from above by the high-pressure area. It's being pushed from below by the high-pressure area. And they both kind of, like, squeeze it and hold it in place. Just as if you picked up, a, you know, something in your hand and you were squeezing it between your two fingers. And you can get a whole series of these because it creates a bunch of these little areas you can see in the video a whole sequence of like little styrofoam balls, little water droplets, all just in a line vertically. They just stay there. It's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah, super cool. Uh, I guess that opens up a whole world of of sound, doesn't it? Like mm. maybe even sounds that we can't 
so much here. Yeah, that is hypersonic. So it is beyond our range of hearing, beyond that 20,000 times a second. Yeah. Supersonic. And what would you say about ultrasonic? That's the word, ultrasonic. Uh, same How do you thing. feel about that one? Even better. Do you um, know what the opposite is where it's below 20 times a second? Infrasonic. Nice. You is right. that correct? Yeah, you're right. Oh, how about that? Just like That's ultraviolet just used infrared, for ultrasonic, infrasonic. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone has heard of ultrasound before. Mm-hmm. Of course, application in medical imaging. Yeah, perfect. Great example. Talk more about that. Well, I, I haven't looked up ultrasonic in, imaging in a long time, so I don't know exactly the mechanisms of how it works. But basically, there's a handpiece that emits uh, ultrasonic waves. Which means, and then I believe it if it's emitting sound waves. It is vibrating. <laughs> and actually, there's like a particular gel that uh, a technician will use in order to make sure that those sound waves make it from the handpiece to the skin without being kind of lost in the air. Yeah. Air is very good at absorbing things. It is. Uh, and once those sound waves make it into whatever they're, you know, looking to image, very commonly pregnant women, but also in my case, one time I had my Achilles tendon <laughs> ultrasonic. I don't mm. think they were imaging it. I think it was a therapy of some kind. Oh, sure. But basically those sound waves go in, they contact something, um, and they bounce back. Just like waves want to do, it's I an, suppose. It's an echo, really. It's, it's an echo. It's, it's kind of like a bat. And then through a series of fancy pants software and algorithms, um, the handpiece recreates, uses those uh, reflections to recreate what it sees, which is really cool. Super, really dang cool. Super, super cool. Yeah. And actually, you make a great point, right? Bats or echoes in the mountains, right? That's the same exact phenomenon as ultrasound uses. It's you're measuring how much time it takes between when you say something to when it bounces back to you or in the case of the ultrasound, the emitter. And the detector. Yeah. Super cool. Super On the cool. flip side, mm. that's, re- that's good for Baby. ultrasound. Great for figuring things out. Ultrasound also great for breaking things. Ah, there is. More. Yeah, there is a. Let's see. I did. I worked on this a long time ago, but I believe that it is called <laughs> ultrasonic lithotripsy, which is where you can use ultrasound oh. on a kidney stone mm. and it vibrates it so hard it disintegrates. <laughs> It's the power of waves in like uh, in destruction form. That's super cool. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah. So we we've broached the topic of of medical devices. Here I am. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Ian's wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Back to you. What do you what else you got? One more that I, again similar to the acoustic levitation. Maybe a little bit. I don't want to get into the technicalities of it, but the Doppler effect you've all experienced um, is a sonic phenomenon. I mean, it takes I place like- in any kind of wave, but it, we often hear it in a sonic case. And that's the case where you have like a, an ambulance that's like running towards you on the street. You know, as it passes you, you hear its pitch drastically alter, right? It's like, yeah, it gets lower pitched as it passes you. And that's the case of kind of these waves almost like stack up on each other when it's approaching you. And then they actually like kind of de-stack when it leaves you. So you kind of experience two different frequencies of the waves, which means... Frequency, again, meaning pitch. You hear a higher pitch as it's approaching you and a lower pitch as it passes you. Doppler effect could totally be its own episode. Yeah, 100%. It's so cool. It's really cool. And we use it for all more than just ambulances. Yes, that's a fact. And trains. More than ambulances and trains. So true. Um, yes, yeah, so that, that's, that's kind of the, the big ones I wanted to hit. Anything, you, any, anything else you got, Ian? No, I don't think so. I think that's pretty good. All right, cool. We got any questions from the, from the audience then? Boy, do we have a question that lines up just right Ooh. from our friend at Anilon17. Anilon17? Hold on. This person's asked questions before. 
That's right. I love a good audience member that asks questions before. You heard it here first, folks. If you ask questions, Will... I, I smile. Will love you. I, I grow a pair of wings every time someone asks a question. Yep. It's getting to be a problem. Yep. I have way too many wings. At Anlon17 says, How does sound work? Specifically when it is produced by an orchestra. Mm. Well, that is quite uh, in line with this one. So I think we probably covered the first part of that question. Um, let's cover the second part about how does it work with musical instruments or an orchestra, for example. Um, so, you know, on the, on the basic level, when you're playing an instrument, you're making it vibrate in some way, right? So for a violin, for example, you know, the strings are vibrating, but the actual reason you can hear it is that that then makes the actual face of the instrument vibrate. Same thing with a guitar. The strings vibrating, it causes the face to vibrate and the face is what creates, you know, the actual, that's the thing that's pushing the air and making the, the waves. So, um, and then with a, with a, a tube, it's a similar idea. You're, you're, you're creating this vibration with your lips and it follows through this tube and it is amplified and all that fun stuff. What, what I think a boom is, whacker? <laughs> boom whacker, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, same idea. You're making vibrate by whacking it. Though, I think the interesting thing is that we can tell different instruments apart, even though they're playing the same note, right? But didn't I just say that the main things that differentiate a sound is the pitch, which is the, the frequency, and the volume, which is just, you know, how much the thing's vibrating. So how are yeah, we able to differentiate? That. Yeah, exactly. Um, great. I'm so glad you asked, Ian. Um, <laughs> this is really fascinating. But the basic idea is that when you're hearing the same pitch from two different instruments, the reason you're calling them the same pitch is that there's one frequency that is the most prevalent frequency, the loudest frequency you're hearing, and that's what we assign the pitch to of the instrument. But that's not the only frequency the thing's vibrating with, right? These instruments have really odd shapes. Our vocal folds have really odd shapes. And that means when they're vibrating, they're not just vibrating at one specific frequency. There's a great series of frequencies that, are, that it's vibrating at. And the combination of these frequencies in different proportions is what's creating the different, what they call timbers or timbres of the instrument, the different sounds that instruments make. Even though the pitch is the same, even if the volume is the same, you can still tell the difference, and that's your ears picking up all the other frequencies that show up. So you, you might have heard of like the fundamental frequencies, um, first fundamental, second fundamental, all that fun stuff. That's kind of the whole music theory of it, is how that, that uh, works. It's really, really cool. Excellent question, Anlund. Um, there's a lot more you can say about that. It's, it's, it, it gets fascinating. There's so much more to say. Um, but I don't want to talk about Fourier transforms or the math of it, because we're not a math podcast, we're a physics podcast. I want to talk one thing about it, though. Sure. When you bring an operatic singer into an oh, orchestra. yeah, this is the coolest. Go on. Obviously, an orchestra is going to be much louder than One a single vocal performer. Yeah. Right? But we can still hear an operatic singer when they're singing with an orchestra. So what's the deal with that? Yeah, how the heck? It's, it's because of those down-the-line harmonics. Did you call them harmonics? Sorry, did I miss a word? Uh, I call, no, I did not bring that up, but that's exactly what I was talking about with these other frequencies okay. that appear. These other frequencies that Will was talking about are called harmonics, right? The first fundamental, the second fundamental, and so on down the line. Uh, it's because the voice has these different fundamentals or these different harmonics that are different than the rest of the orchestra. So your brain, even though it can't hear necessarily the, the fundamental note that they're singing, it can hear the harmonics, and it sort of fills in the gaps backwards. It's, it's so cool. And that's, that's what we mean when we say they have an operatic sound to them. Our ears are picking up these much, 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 much higher frequencies 
even though it's not the loudest part of their voice, that's not the frequency we're hearing because we can't even hear it sometimes. It's, it's supersonic or uh, what, I, uh, what is it? Uh, ultrasonic. ultrasonic. Thank you. Um, You've used every version. Yeah, geez. Uh, yeah, but we can't even hear it necessarily, but our ears can still pick it up and it kind of, like a domino set, it kind of like allows us to hear the fundamental, which is far quieter than the orchestra. We can still pick it out from the orchestra. It's really cool. So cool. Which, you know, maybe on like a, a, a cultural or evolutionary standpoint, maybe, you know, we've we've adapted to being able to hear human voices over ambient noises or something like that. You know, there's probably some evolutionary reason for that, but fascinating, fascinating. Very stuff. fascinating. Great point, Ian. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. I do what I can. So, folks, if you have a question for us, which would be delightful because we are now out of questions. So Uh-oh. if we get no more, we're going to have to pivot pretty hard. <laughs> You can tweet at us at Podcast Frames. You can email us, referenceframespodcast at gmail.com. And we would really appreciate that because we're now out. We're at I the bottom of the barrel. Like, look, this is my favorite part of the whole thing is answering these questions. That music stuff, super cool. So fun. And he writes the whole script and everything. So to have this be his favorite part is really saying a lot. His favorite part is the part other people write. <laughs> exactly. I hate the parts <laughs> I do. Uh, if you have questions, if you have corrections, just comments, uh, fan art. Yeah. Or if you have Pretty an example much. of where sound, an interesting case of where, where you see sound in the world, or if maybe you have a cool video that showcases some cool sounds. Maybe the guy skipping the rock across the frozen lake or something like that. Oh, so good. Or the uh, golf ball. Yeah, tweet at us. Send us some. Tweet at us. Send us Love it. Um, and that's kind of all I have to say about any of that. Do you want to do a wrap-up? Why don't you go ahead and do a wrap-up? Of sound? Or of, of the whole episode. Oh, I was going to say, uh, oh gosh, the pressure. Uh, uh. Uh, oh boy, he's falling, he's cracking uh, 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 uh. I, I can't do it, Ian You gotta do it Folks, thanks so much <laughs> for coming to this podcast It's been an absolute treat for me and Will to do Yeah a, a, a bucket of fun and a half Bucket of fun and a half All that and a bag of chips And we hope to see you next time in And the, if we don't see you next time zone. Maybe the time after that But until then time time. Keep it breezy <laughs> <laughs> So now when we hear the world around us, we know that sounds are made when something vibrates. Listen to every sound.